Hello, and welcome to How I Made It Happen, a weekly podcast hosted by me, Elizabeth Agabi. On this podcast, I speak to women who are entrepreneurs, innovators, and game changers. I dive deep into conversation with them to understand how they've taken their ideas and made them a reality. If you're new here, here's a little introduction about me. I'm the founder of For Working Ladies, a platform for entrepreneurial thinking women. I'm also the author of the newly published book, Side Hustle in Progress, a practical guide to kickstarting your business. In this book, I share everything you need to know as you embark on your own journey of turning your ideas into reality. From how to get ideas to how to market your business, I cover it all. If you'd like to purchase a copy, the link is in the show notes and it can also be purchased at all bookstores. In today's episode, I have with me Tiwalola Ogunlesi, a globally recognized coach specializing in positive psychology, a master neurolinguistic practitioner, an international speaker, and the founder of Confident in Killing It. Confident in Killing It is a purpose-driven organization and a community that helps women build confidence so they can live the life they truly desire. Tiwa achieves this work through engaging workshops, coaching sessions, and her hit-making podcast. Since starting her business in 2018, she has upskilled over 7,000 women in London, New York, Lagos, and delivered experiences for clients such as Google, Facebook, The Times, Deloitte, UN Women UK, the Oprah Winfrey Leadership Academy, and more. In this episode, Tiwa shares with me the experience of losing all her clients during the pandemic, how she still went on to build a globally recognized coaching brand despite the challenges, and how we can use content to generate new business. Here is Tiwa Ogunlesi. Confident and Killing It is, I like to describe it as a self-love revolution that wakes women up to their worth so they can be confident, unstoppable, and dare to live the life that they truly desire. Um, I noticed there was a generational cycle of low self-esteem in women and girls, and I wanted to do something about it. So the brand is actually divided into four pillars. I have my corporate well-being workshops that I run. So I've gone into some of the biggest companies to speak to the, the teams and to equip them with soft skills that they need to be confident in the workplace. Um, I also have my online community where um, women come together to meet monthly to celebrate themselves and like social media and things like that. Um, And then I have the Confident and Killing It podcast, uh, which as a coach, I break down like practical tips that people can use to build their confidence. And then the last pillar is my one-to-one coaching where I work with women one-on-one to to just take their confidence to the next level and help them like believe in themselves and really master their mindset. So yeah. Amazing. And before this, you were actually working in like a similar, I wouldn't say industry, but you were doing similar work, right? So could you talk to us about what you were doing before you became a full-time entrepreneur? Yeah. So um, when I first graduated from university, actually, the first job that I got was working for an engineering company in Oxford. And it was just like completely like, I was just like, how did I even end up here? Like, it just was not me. And then it was in that time that I actually woke up to the idea that you don't have to hate your job. Like you can actually be in a job that is aligned to your purpose. And so um, I started looking for jobs that were um, female empowerment in media and technology, which were the areas that I was really interested in. And then I found um, Girl Effect, which was um, 
an NGO that uses media and technology to empower teenage girls living in developing countries. So I worked there for about two and a half years as a um, content producer, as a project manager, as a brand partnerships manager as well. And um, yeah, it really kind of like fed into Confident and Killing It and Confident and Killing It also fed into my day job. And that's what I always tell people when they're trying to make a full-time job and a side hustle work. I think it is actually really beneficial to have both in the same industry or kind of using the same skills because it's kind of like I was learning stuff in my full-time job, bringing it into my business. I was learning stuff in my business, bringing it into my full-time job. And because of the community I had on the side, I had a lot of like at work, like people really respected me. I had a lot of authority because it wasn't just the everyday job I was doing. I had a community outside of work and they were like, wow, she is really an expert in, you know, matters to do with women and girls. Yeah. So I worked, um, basically creating content to help teenage girls learn to love themselves more, manage their money, understand their bodies, ETC, and just, yeah, um, creating a space where women actually feel confident enough to take action in life. I love the alignment and just how it just aligned with your side hustle because you were running it as a side hustle at the time you were in your full-time job. What caused you to decide, okay, I want to focus on this full-time? So I'm... I mean, I loved working at uh, Girl Effect, but there was a season where I just started getting anxiety. Like, and I'm not even someone who really gets anxiety or panic attacks, but I would be going into the office and all of a sudden, like my chest is tight. I just felt so uncomfortable. And I think my gut feeling was just saying, Tiwa, it's time to go. Um, There was also kind of like some organizational changes and structures and things like that. And so I, I started to think like, why am I building somebody else's dream that I don't feel like like I'm 100% aligned with anymore when I could be building my own business that I am 100% aligned with. Um, so it was just kind of, there, there was just this tension in me, like when you outgrow a space, and it's just like everything in you is just going, girls, time to leave. Like we're, we're going up, we're doing something different now. Um, and so, yeah, I just had that tension in me and my gut was just saying it's time to go. And even if I, I didn't really know what my plan was going to be next, but I just knew I, I would figure it out. But I just knew my time there was done. I was just about to ask, did you have a plan? <laughs> but you've just answered my question. So you left and then I assume with time you decided to focus on confident and killing it and also your coaching practice. Was there at any point this feeling that you may fail, that things may not go as planned, you may not make money, you might have mm-hmm. to start looking for a new job? Was mm-hmm. there ever a moment you're saying, mm-hmm, I'm like, <laughs> I can yes. imagine that there was. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. How did you overcome that? So I quit my job in December of 2019. And like I I said, I didn't have any clients lined up. I didn't have any plan, but I had three months worth of savings. So I gave myself three months to build a sustainable business that could, you know, take me to where I needed to be. So I go to Lagos for Christmas, you know, dirty December, have my fun. (laughs) And then I come back and then I'm like, right, let's get down to it. So I start getting bookings for like speaking. I start pitching myself to run workshops. Um, 
um, at places like The Wing, working with The Stack, things like that. And then my name was, you know, beginning to get out there. Um, I was building my reputation and I had workshops lined up for um, April, May, June. Like, so things were looking really good. And were you pitching these companies by yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just me solo. Um, I didn't have a team. It was literally just me. And I was pitching myself to different communities, to different brands. I was quite lucky because it was like whenever I ran one workshop, people in the audience always came up to me and were like, we need to book you for our own company. So really and truly it was word of mouth that kind of began to escalate rather than me putting myself out there to pitch. And then the pandemic happened (laughs) and everything shut down and people were not feeling Zoom at all. They didn't even know what Zoom was at the time. And everyone was just like, no, how can an in-person workshop now be run online? It's not going to be the same vibe, da, 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 da. So many people just ghosted me. They had booked me for a workshop and they just didn't respond to any of my emails when I was following up. And so Literally, I went through a week in March where day after day, I was just getting cancellation email after cancellation email after cancellation email to the point where all my income that I had lined up for April, May and June wiped out in the space of a week. And this was in March where my three months worth of savings that I had before I left my full-time job was beginning to run out. Now I was living at home. So, you know, I'm not going to make it seem like, oh, I was about to be on the streets or anything like that. Like I still had the privilege of being at home, having a family that support me, support my dreams, things like that. But it was just that pressure of like, oh my gosh, how can I bounce back from this? And my negative thoughts came in and were like, Tiwa, this is the end. Like you need to go start looking for jobs now. Like this is like, there's no bouncing back from this. And I had to stop and ask myself and say, is this the story I actually want for my life? That I decided to quit my job and launch my business and a pandemic happened and I gave up in the first instance where I experienced a challenge. And I said, no, that's not the story I want. I want the story to be that I'm seeing the most growth that I've ever seen before. I'm making the most money that I've ever made. I'm building a global community of women all over the world. That's the story I want for myself coming out of this pandemic. And so I wrote a note to myself and I said, whatever goes down must come back up. I am unstoppable. I love that. Thank you. And I pinned that to my vision board. So every single day in the pandemic when no one was booking me for anything, I would look at that and say, it's coming back up. It's coming back up. And the key thing about overcoming challenges and failure is number one, like you have to lean into the positive possibilities of your life, right? I could have failed, but I could also have succeeded. And instead of leaning into that fear of failure, I leaned into the possibility of success. I feel like I need a notepad just to be safe. (laughs) I need to take all the notes, all the gems that you're (laughs) dropping right now. And I remember the day that you came on social and you were really transparent and you said that, you know, all your workshops have been cancelled, your speaking engagements, that basically all your income was wiped out. I remember it so clearly and I wanted to send you a message and say, oh, Tiwa, you shouldn't be talking about this. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. But then I was (laughs) like, no, this is her story and let her be transparent with her community. And I think like within a year, I saw so much growth with your brand to the extent that 
you got signed on to one of the global 360 talent agencies as a speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you were just achieving so much. Your community doubled, you were being paid, you were being booked. So like you had this sense of resiliency that I absolutely loved. And I think I just love the fact that you didn't give up because it's so easy to do that, especially during a pandemic. I think anyone who gave up during the pandemic has every right to because it was so, so tough. Yeah. What I would like to know is that looking back, what do you feel led to the changes in terms of you overcoming those challenges? I know you said you leaned into the positive side of things, but what were the practical things that you had to do? Because you definitely had to just pull yourself together and actually start taking action, right? So what were the practical things that you had to do? So one thing I always say to people is you have to invest in things that people cannot take away from. So I have spent seven years investing in my mindset, investing in my confidence, working on my personal growth. So in a time of challenge, I've already done seven years worth of practicing, right? I've already invested in my confidence. So people canceling my bookings is not going to make me cancel myself, right? That's just them not believing in me, but then I'm going to bet on myself because I know where I've come from. I know the work that I put in to get to where I am now. And so I bet on myself. And so when people weren't giving me opportunities, I created my own opportunities. I decided to put on a webinar series called Killing It as an Entrepreneur, where I got women who were doing amazing work to come on Zoom panels. And we talked about everything from building your personal brand, money management, health, well-being, um, you know, just being a Black woman and what race and your experience as an entrepreneur. And those webinars, I had over a thousand women join and it formed such a bond and community and also put me on the map. Because yes, I was interviewing other people, but I was also demonstrating my expertise all throughout that season. And so all the people who came to those webinars, guess what they did? They went back to their companies and they were like, listen, if you're talking about female empowerment, Tiwa is the one. So I built a personal brand essentially that demonstrated excellence delivering value, engagement, real impact and positivity because people legit took change from the workshops they were coming to. Um, And so before I knew it, people were just reaching out to me like, oh, Tiwa, we want you to speak at Google. Oh, Tiwa, there's an opportunity at Facebook. Uh, Deloitte, Morgan Stanley, TikTok, like all of, and this is all women going back to their companies to say, we need her to speak here. So um, I think building a personal brand in this day and age is so important. It's not arrogance. It's not something you need to shy away from. You need to be able to sell yourself. You need to be able to communicate your value. And I like to say building a personal brand um, and self-promotion is really just an exchange of value and enthusiasm. I have something really exciting to bring to the world. You have something you need. You have a problem that needs solving. When I share my story and talk about myself, you find me and we work together and we create value. That is literally all self-promotion is. So um, yeah, that's the one thing I would say. Second thing is your mindset, right? 
when the negative thoughts come to say, what if you fail? Um, you know, what if no one buys your products? What if no one books you? Are you just going to go, oh yeah, I guess I'll just give up. No, like you have to challenge, you have to come with energy, right? Because at the end of the day, your mind is a battlefield. Your positive and negative thoughts are always going to be fighting for your attention, but you have the power of choice to decide which side is going to win. And if you give into the negativity, you stay stuck where you are. But if you challenge it and, you know, speak life into your life and, you know, focus on all the, your strengths and your gifts and your talents, that is what becomes your reality. Yeah. I love that. I especially love the first point that you made, which was if you don't get opportunities, create your own opportunities. And we're seeing more and more people do that right now, especially during the pandemic. Many people are now selling like online courses or becoming a coach, which I think is perfect, turning your skill set into something that is valuable to people. I want to go like really far back to when you were like young. Were you always as ambitious as you are? Who did you want to be? Um, and what did you want to do? I mean, are you where you wished you were? Mm. Um, yeah, so I was always quite ambitious. I think I had this recurring dream when I was younger that I had a briefcase and I was wearing a suit and I was pressing the top of an elevator of a tall building. And that's where my office was like on the highest floor of this building. I didn't know what the building was. I didn't know what job I was doing. I just knew that whatever it was, I was going to be a boss. And I think I got that because I come from a family of very strong women. My grandma was an entrepreneur. She was a Scottish woman. She married a Nigerian man. She moved to Nigeria in the sixties. Right. And life was tough. Um, but she created her own business. You know, she left an abusive relationship. She stayed in Nigeria. She built a name for herself in the fashion industry. Um, my mom as well started selling pajamas from the boots of her car. And she's now built a multi-million dollar brand in Nigeria. And so I've just always seen women equate to greatness. So I didn't necessarily know what I was going to do, but I just knew that whatever I did, I would be amazing at it because I've grown up seeing women killing it. And so I always thought if my mom and my grandma could do it, I could do it too. So you had these really positive influences around you that enabled you to believe that you will become someone great too. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of like actual career, I didn't actually see myself being a coach until I, w I started my personal growth journey. That's when I actually saw, oh, wow, okay, I wanted to build a media company and create content that actually inspires people. Because like I said earlier, I think there's a generational cycle of low self-esteem in women and girls, which is caused a lot by patriarchal society and capitalism and the media. And I just thought, why is this our only option that we're consuming information that makes us feel bad about ourselves? I want to create content that makes women feel good about themselves. And so that was my goal. And then when I started reading loads of books and watching Oprah interviews and things like that, and then sharing that content online, people really gravitated towards it. And so I just kept doing that. Like for one whole year before I officially made Confident and Killing It, I was just posting one minute inspirational videos on Instagram. Um, 
And then that grew into what Confident and Killing It is today. So yeah, I always kind of knew I wanted to do something where I was helping people and empowering people, but I didn't know it was going to be coaching until much later on. And the coaching industry grew tremendously during lockdown. Um, And with that also came challenges. So there were a few dodgy coaches, um, customers not being happy, and then journalists turning those into articles and so on and so forth. But with every industry, there will definitely be challenges. If someone is coming out as a new coach, how are they able to position themselves as someone who is legit? How can they build trust with their customers? Because I feel that now for quite a few upcoming coaches and just through podcasts that I've listened to as well, there's a bit of resistance to want to come and, you know, to come out and be a coach because of what has happened within the industry. How can they overlook that, build trust with their clients and position themselves as being legit? Yeah, I think first things first is you have to know what you're talking about and you have to have the impact stories. So I don't need to try and convince anyone that I'm legit. I'll just show you the testimonials or you can ask my clients or you can watch videos, right? So I think it's important that before you go out there and you put yourself out there and a coach and create all your different sales pages be low key at the beginning, work with people, get consistent results time and time and time again. Right. Um, before I even started my coaching qualifications, I started off coaching university students because I had, I created this program and I was like, let me try this out. I tested it on university students, tested it on a couple more people, got amazing feedback from them. If they had any constructive criticism, I incorporated that into my work as well. And so I had a series of delivering results consistently before I then said, Hey everyone, I'm a coach and I'm going to start charging, um, you know, premium prices for my coaching. Um, in the beginning, I literally started with 20 pounds a session. I would never charge that now, but that was before I even started my coaching qualification. So if you're a new coach, I think it's important that you practice a lot, like before you even come out to the world to say, Hey everyone, I'm a coach and I'm doing this full time. The second thing I would say is get your qualifications. A lot of people feel like, Oh, you don't need a qualification to be a coach, but that's not true. I have a specialization in positive psychology. I have a coaching qualification. Um, you know, I've done NLP. I'm a neuro linguistic practitioner. Um, I've even done the master NLP certificate. So it's like, when I work with people, I'm not just doing vibes, you know, like I'm not just doing what I think, you know, might work for them. Right. I'm actually using stuff that is backed by science that is backed by positive psychologists. And I'm adding my Tiwa energy and flair to it. But every single thing that I do is backed by science because I'm data driven. And again, like I said, I'm not just here for like happy, clappy, you go girl motivation. I have the qualifications to back it up. And so I think if you want to be taken as a legit coach, you should have the qualifications. Um, And you should also have that science-based expertise, but don't just go, hey, everyone, science, 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 bring in your own personality and energy and feel free to tweak it a little bit. But when you're working with people and their lives are involved, it's not just like, it's not just vibes. You actually need to know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I take that very seriously and I, I would advise other coaches to do the same. And do you feel that being a young woman, have you ever felt that age 
has been an obstacle? Do you think age should even determine how much experience you have or who you should be coaching? Have you ever felt that has been an obstacle to you? I wouldn't say an obstacle, but it's something I battled with as like an insecurity of mine because a lot of my clients are actually older than me. I'm getting like, I'm so I'm 28 and I have women who are in their thirties, forties come to me for coaching. And I'm just like, bruh, what am I going to tell a 30 year old woman or 40 year old woman that she doesn't already know? But then I have to remind myself that I'm actually the expert when it comes to confidence building. And that is what they are here for. They're not talking to me about childhood, uh, you know, raising children. They're not talking to me about marriage, whatever. They've come here to talk to me about what I am an expert at. So age has nothing to do with expertise. You can be young, but if you have years of experience in something, you are an expert in that field. And that is what people are paying for. So I really had to learn to move my age out of the equation because it's not about age. It's about, you know, your passion, your drive, your knowledge, all of those things is what really matters. So, um, yeah, don't let your age disqualify you. If your target audience is older than you, that's totally fine. Remember that you are the expert in that field and that's what they're actually paying for. That's a great point. You being the expert. And in terms of finding customers, what have been your most valuable ways? I know the one of them that you've mentioned is creating your own content, which has essentially driven people to advocate for you in their own organizations. But what other ways do you find customers? So my podcast has been amazing for helping me find customers. And essentially with my podcast, I am breaking down how to manage imposter syndrome, how to deal with negative thoughts, how to celebrate yourself. So all the key things that people need in terms of personal growth, I am talking about those things on my podcast. So before people buy from you, they need to know you, they need to see you, and they need to trust you. So um, my podcast shows them that I know what I'm talking about and I've been consistent with it for a year and they actually learn from the podcast. So when they learn from my free resources, they're like, wow, imagine what life would be like if I actually paid to work with her one-on-one. So um, you've got to share your expertise. And that's why I was saying why your personal brand is so important. Um Another way people get like decide to to do coaching with me is through my social media. I remember one person signed up to coaching with me because she saw me dancing in my bathrobe and she was just like, she just has such good energy. I want to be a part of that and I want to tap into that. So a lot of coaches feel like, oh, they have to come, you know, really all coachy and selly. And actually, no, you want to pull people in rather than push stuff at them. So I actually rarely publish my coaching stuff on my Instagram, but I have a waiting list of 100 people waiting to coach with me. And I really, I rarely ever publish it. So what I do is I pull people in from lifestyle. You know, you got to understand what are your clients interested in as well, right? So you want to pull them in with fun lifestyle stuff, if that's what they care about. And then they get curious about who you are and what you do. And then they find out you, you're a coach and then they begin that journey like that. So yeah, social media has been really powerful. My podcast in terms of visibility, my podcast as well has been powerful in terms of showing people the knowledge and expertise that I have. So it gives them a little taster. And 
Uh, yeah, recommendations. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask people like, do you know anyone who might be interested in coaching? I'm starting out in my career right now and I'm offering, you know, maybe one gifted session or I'm offering a discounted session to just, you know, gain more experience. Let me know. And yeah, don't be afraid to ask the people in your community because that's what I did. I literally posted on my Instagram, anyone interested in coaching, DM me. And that was like four years ago. And then it was the young university students that replied. And that's who I went with. And You've been quite open in terms about how much you've made with your business um, on a monthly basis going from, you know, being cancelled, you know, having all your speaking engagements cancelled, doing your workshops. And in the UK, we're really discreet about those things. You know, we don't talk about money. People think it's crass and so many different things. I personally feel that it's a conversation that we should have because it allows you to know the possibilities. Why have you decided to share how much you're earning through your business and what value do you think that's bringing the community? Yeah, I think it's part of celebrating yourself as an individual. So um, I went from literally, and for me, the growth was just crazy and I wasn't going to sugarcoat that. So I remember checking my bank account at the beginning of March and having anxiety because it was literally like the lowest it's ever been. And like no jokes, three months later, I had made 10K. And for me, that was just like, I was just so proud of myself, the resilience, the pushing through, the strategy, everything. And so I celebrated that because I also want people to know that it's possible for them. Like what I was saying, um, it's in, in behavior theory, when women or someone sees somebody who looks like them doing something, they also believe it's possible for them too. So, um, it's that mentality of if she can do it, I can do it too. So I share my wins not to push other people down or to make them think like, oh, they're not doing as good as I am doing in life. No, I share it because it's like, if I can do it, you can do it too. If I can survive in the pandemic as an entrepreneur, and make 10 K in my first, you know, three months creating new products and tools you can actually do that too. So that's what I think the value is in sharing that. And then I also think, you know, I've noticed a lot like this thing, and I think this is where the negativity comes from around money. It's like people sharing how much they make because they want to come across as successful. And the more people know how successful you are, the more drawn they are to see what you're doing and, you know, they want to be a part. So it also builds hype. And I think where people have really kind of messed things up is they are making money, not because they're actually delivering value, but they're like telling people how to do something. And then it's like, they're making money from people paying them to do something that they can easily do anyway. So it's just like, that's where it gets really messy. Like you're not, you're not a legitimate like business person who's built and launched something. You've kind of just packaged something together. And so you're making, you're a millionaire, not because you have a business that's generating that, but just because you kind of like package something and 
loads of people have bought into it. And so I never want to be that kind of person. Like I want to build my own thing and know like I'm legit in what I'm doing and then help people after I know like I've been able to achieve results. So yeah, I and I think, you know, money is an important conversation we should have and just know why you're doing it. If you're doing it to flex, then that's never going to work in your favor. If you're doing it to create hype about you again, like not really the most authentic thing to do, but if you're doing it from a genuine place of, I cannot believe I actually did this and I want to inspire other women to do it too, then I don't, I don't see what the harm is. No, I think it's, it's a necessary thing to do. I remember when I started contracting and um, I had had a conversation with someone and she told me how much she was earning. And I was really grateful for her sharing that because I had asked someone, how much do you think I should charge? And it wasn't even, I don't think, I think it was like one fifth of what my friend was earning as a day rate. So (laughs) I was so glad that I had those two conversations because then I was able to say, okay, this is how much I want to make. X, Y, Z is earning that. Although she's in this industry, let me go and do my research. I think having that transparency with money again, lets people know the possibility. And so we shouldn't be secretive. But I think the fear around people not wanting to share money is that at the same time, we've just been conditioned to believe that it's crass, you know, it's, it's not something that you should do. Um, And truth be told, it's holding us back. 100%. Yeah, so it's so necessary. Because if we don't have these conversations, employers can continue to discriminate and pay women less and, you know, even pay black women less than, you know, other people. And so whenever my friends come to ask, oh, how much did this brand pay you? I tell them straight up. And I'm also so grateful that I had mentors that I could also ask how much they were charging for their own things. So it gave me the confidence to know that I can charge that too. So I think no one wins when we're secretive about rates and fees and things like that. Well, capitalism wins and the big brands and the organizations who don't want to pay us win but us as individuals we win when we are actually open and transparent with each other and I don't see how me telling you how much I've charged someone is going to take anything away from me you know if anything it gets you money too and we're both winning you know so yeah so for an entrepreneur or for someone who's building their career um one of the things that can hold um, people back is the fear, the fear of maybe starting, the fear of applying for a job or asking for a promotion. Um, From your experience with clients, what are the other things that you've heard from women that tend to hold them back outside of fear and how can they overcome these obstacles? Fear is definitely the biggest one for sure, fear of failure that I've come across. Another one is imposter syndrome. That's another big thing women are really struggling with. And actually Google showed that searches for imposter syndrome were like up 150% in the last year and it was heightened by the pandemic. Um, Another area where I see women really struggle is with their sense of self-worth, like not thinking that they're good enough and not loving their bodies. So those are like the three main areas. Um, For imposter syndrome, I like to say imposter syndrome is temporary memory loss where you've just forgotten all the amazing things about you. Because if you really think about it, it's that fear of you're a fraud or, um, you know, people are gonna like 
catch you out and you don't have what it takes to do what you need to do. But again, that's not true. If you look back and reflect on your wins and, you know, your accomplishments, you will see that you have exactly what it takes to succeed in whatever it is that you're doing. So for me, I have a a monthly wins tracker where every single month I go in and I write my small wins and my big wins in an Excel spreadsheet. And so whenever I'm feeling down or anxious or worried or feeling like an imposter, I just go and look at that spreadsheet and remind myself that, listen, if you could do it before, you can absolutely do it again. And just being able to see my small wins and big wins on a massive page, it just gives me that confidence because positive psychologists actually say that um, if you look back at your life with a sense of achievement and accomplishment, it makes you more confident and optimistic about your future. So a lot of people are so worried about their future because they're not even awake to the greatness inside of them in the present and to all the amazing things they've achieved in the past. So. keep track of your wins. Next thing is to practice gratitude. So a really big thing is to write down three things that you're grateful for every single day, because our default is negativity. Our default is fear. So we need to reprogram our minds so that your default becomes love and encouragement. And so by practicing gratitude every single day, you begin to program your mind to look for the good things that have gone well for you. And so that becomes your norm where you're constantly looking for what could go well instead of looking for what's currently failing. Yeah, I totally agree with all those. And I love the fact that you keep track of all your wins. That's so necessary. Sometimes when I go through what I've done during the month, I'm like, Liz, you've achieved a lot. But there's, you know, there are those days where you feel like you've achieved absolutely nothing. So I think that tracker is so so necessary and i'll link that in the show notes below for anyone that wants to get it do you have any resources such as books or podcasts that you'd recommend for anyone who wants to overcome fear or build confidence and take action i will link your podcast below for anyone that wants to listen to that but do you have any other resources Yes. So I think, um, yeah, books, both books and podcasts are really important. A book that really began my confidence journey was 15 Laws of Growth by John Maxwell. And that's where I learned that growth is actually intentional. And he talks about all the different, like the foundation of personal growth and all the different things you should know and be looking at. So I definitely recommend that. Uh, I also recommend, um, Vishen Lakiani's book. It's called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. It's not a very popular one, but I think it's really, really effective. Um, And in that book, he actually teaches you how to reprogram your mind for success instead of just kind of taking society and your beliefs as what you have. If a belief doesn't serve you, you can actually change that belief. And for me, that was the turning point of my life because I used to think I wasn't creative. I hated my body. I thought there was nothing special about me. I thought I had no gifts and no talents. And that's the narrative I grew up believing about myself. But when I realized that I can actually let go of sabotaging beliefs that don't serve me and replace them with empowering beliefs. I was like, right, let's go. I'm ready. 
So really recommend that. Um, another podcast which I love is Happy Not Perfect by Poppy Jamie. So if you're really into like mindset and well-being, that's another really good one. Um, School of Greatness by Lewis Howes. That's another really good one as well that I listen to um, in terms of like listening to experts and like practical things that you can do to build your confidence. Um, and yeah, and the Confident and Killing It podcast, of course. Of course, I will link that below. Um, and to wrap up, your business has been built on content, content that you've been creating since you were in your full-time job. And so you have all the advice, you have your expertise out there. For anyone that wants to create content so that they can launch a business, what are the three top tips that you have? So first thing is speak to your audience. Who are you actually creating content for? Um, don't be afraid to co-create and collaborate with your audience. I will always ask people, what are your biggest challenges right now? I'm not just doing that because it's a fun question to ask. I'm getting their answers and I'm going to use that to create content. At my first ever event, I handed out a questionnaire so women could tell me their top three insecurities so I could collect that data and use it to create content that serves them. So don't be afraid to co-create with your audience. Ask them questions understand like what are they really interested in what are their challenges and be a solution that is the key thing be a solution to people's problems so yeah co-create with your audience number two i would say be yourself like actually don't have in your mind oh somebody who creates content around finance needs to look like this and say this or somebody who creates content around nutrition needs to look like this and say this no you are unique and your story is your selling point. So I was working with a yoga instructor who didn't want to create content online because she didn't look like the typical yoga instructor. And I was like, think of how many women that look like you that want to get into yoga, but don't because there isn't a yoga instructor that looks like them and they can't resonate with the ones that exist out there. And I, so I often say to people like you are unique, like bring your story into it, infuse everything that you need into it. And then, um, finally I would say kind of like actually be strategic about it, be data driven. If you actually want to create content to build a business, you have to review your numbers, which were the best performing posts every month. What was it about them that was best performing? Take that information, use it for the next month. Experiment, you've got to test, A-B testing, right? So you've got to say, okay, I'm going to try this video as a reel versus this video as an IGTV, or I'm going to try this content call to action for this event versus this one for another event and see how many people come up. All throughout the pandemic, I was experimenting with the pricing, with the names of the workshops, um, you know, with colors, with everything. You've got to experiment because that's when you begin to see, okay, what works, what doesn't really work. Um, and yeah, it's a process. It's a journey. You know, there's no such thing as the perfect content. Like you learn and you keep going. And I think the last thing I would say is the message in you is more important than the fear you feel. 
before I posted my first ever video on Instagram, I was literally in my room shaking. Like, what if they judge me? What if they think this is cringe? Like, who do you think you are to be posting videos like this? But I had to remind myself that the message in me is so much more important than the fear of judgment or people laughing at me or not supporting me and things like that. And when a piece of content doesn't do well, don't internalize it as something being wrong with you. It's not always about you. Maybe the time you posted was wrong. Maybe your your caption wasn't clear enough. Maybe the visuals weren't that great. It's not always about you not being good enough or you not being a failure. So learn to differentiate your identity and your worth from the work that you create. Amazing. I love those tips, especially the one around um, being data driven, because I think sometimes, you know, we just like to go on vibes um, and it's so important to check the numbers and make decisions that are, you know, based on fact. But this is the end. Thank you so, so much for coming. I love your energy. I am so proud of how much you've achieved and you are just a brilliant example to all the young women out there who want to build a business and sell a great story. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of How I Made It Happen. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do follow, leave a review and a rating as it really helps others in discovering the podcast. And lastly, if you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, you can sign up for that at fourworkingladies.com. Thank you for listening.